The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Here's what we're doing. We're going to do a two-part mini-series for the last Sunday of 2019 and the first Sunday of 2020, okay? This two-part mini-series is called Desperate, and we're talking about cultivating a deeper hunger for the Lord. The scriptures tell us that God is the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, that his love is everlasting, that his faithfulness, it stretches to the sky, that his mercy is new each morning. And so in all these ways, what we're hearing is that our God is eternal and infinite in all of his goodness. And so what that means is there are always greater depths of his wondrous majesty to explore. And for that, I'm grateful. I hope you are too. So what this means is wherever you find yourself today, wherever you are in terms of relationship with Jesus, you can know him more. And you can draw nearer to him. And you can enjoy him being faithful to his promise to draw near to you. That's what it says in James 4, 8, that if we'll draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Promise I'm very grateful for. Now, if we're honest, though, and I hope we will be, many times we don't feel a strong desire or sometimes any desire to be closer with the Lord. Now, sometimes this is intentional because of our inability to process uh, the reality of our circumstances. There's times we end up either angry or bitter towards the Lord. Sometimes it's unintentional because the inborn appetite that he gave us for close relationship with him is being temporarily satisfied with counterfeits and various idols. But in either case, and, and no matter where you are, on the spectrum of these things today. One thing is certain. There is more of God to know and love and experience. And his desire is for us to come closer and to seek him first above all else. Let me read you something from the prophet Isaiah along these lines. This is in Isaiah 55. He says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Amen. We're prone, friends, we're prone to exhaust ourselves Diving in dumpsters looking for a meal when our king has invited us to dine at his table. He wants better for us than that. The question that we need to ask ourselves as we read and study these scriptures tonight is this. Here's the big question. What do I want? What do I want? And, and I'm going to ask you to pay close attention to what answer rises first in your heart and mind. Because many of us have been around the things of God long enough. We know what the best, what the best first answer is, what maybe the right first answer is, and that would be 
more of God. But knowing the right answer is not the same as having a true desire. And this is what we've come to stir up tonight. This is our hope as we close the door on 2019 and move into 2020. This is what we're asking God to help us with. We want our desire for him to rise to the level of a ravenous and insatiable hunger and our pursuit of him to be as one who is starving and is searching for sustenance. This is what we're here for. And so we've come to Genesis 32. Uh, as I said, this is, this is the last Sunday in 2019, so I didn't figure you guys would mind reading an entire chapter of Genesis. I figured let's just go ahead and do it right. Amen? All right, so we're going to do it. We're going to work through an entire chapter here. Not a long one, uh, but I don't think you guys would mind anyways. You guys are Bible folks. Okay, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read it in chunks, and we'll, we'll stop and work our way through it, okay? So we're going to start with verses 1 through 8. Here we go. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angel of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Okay, quick backstory before we move on. Jacob, whose name means deceiver, supplanter, he was the younger of twin brothers. Esau's the older brother, okay? The Bible says he came out kind of red and furry. Uh, and he came out first, was the older brother. Jacob was second. Uh, he was more smooth-skinned and uh, liked hanging out with his mom in the tent and cooking. Okay, So Esau is like a man of the field, classic tough guy. We got Jacob, uh, who likes to hang out with mom and, and bake and whatnot. Okay, So here's what happened. Jacob tricked his father towards the end of his life, Isaac, into blessing him instead of his older brother Esau. And this created some bad blood. Okay, So this is why we see... Jacob saying he's greatly distressed, he's afraid of the fact that Esau is coming with 400 other people. And we see how desperate Jacob is here, okay? So let's, let's just think about this. Jacob's response to the fact that his brother is coming is he splits up everybody, the people and the animals, and says, okay, we're going to roll in two groups now. Here's the hope. The hope is if Esau attacks one group, at least the other half of us will survive. That's a pretty desperate move, right? That's, he's shook up. This is not a joke. All right, so the next thing we see in verses 9 through 12 is that Jacob, Jacob turns to prayer in his desperation. So let's read that. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two companies, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Now, something interesting to note is that if you look back at Jacob's story prior to this, you don't see much praying. Uh, I scanned it pretty heavily, didn't see any recorded. 
uh, somebody can fact check that and, and see if it's right. But at the bare minimum, it's, it's not a hallmark of Jacob's story. He's not a man of prayer. He's not going to the Lord in prayer very often. More often than not, he's devising his own plan. He's using his cunning and uh, you know, his, his own uh, seeming gifts. You know, and these are the things that maybe the Lord's even given him, right? He seems to be a smart guy, kind of silver-tongued. You know, he can move people around uh, without them knowing it kind of thing. And uh, he tends to do that. And, and that would normally be his go-to, to use his own might and wisdom and cunning to, to get his own way or to solve his problems. And uh, we see him pray in verses 9 through 12, but then we also see him do the other thing. Okay, so that's what verses 13 through 23 show us. It says, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, lost my place. 30 milking camels. I think I lost my place because I saw milking camels and then started to actually think as I'm reading this to you, I wonder what camel milks taste like. Um, which is why I have grace on you when some of you get distracted while I'm preaching because I just got distracted while I was preaching. So camel milk, praise God. Okay. Somebody go to Jungle Gyms. They have camel milk. Do me a favor. Grab me a little pint of that because I'm, I'm now very curious. Amen. All right. Let's continue. So, 30 milking camels, that's going to be a lot of camel milk, their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. So he kind of separates them by each animal, okay? He's setting up kind of an extravagant display here is what he's doing. He commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom... Do you belong? And where are you going? To whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It's a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he's also behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the drove, saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he arose that same night, took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. So this is an example of what I'm talking about. Jacob throws a prayer up, right? But he also devises his own plan to try to fix the situation with Esau. And, and I'm hoping, uh, I'm, I'm kind of giving, giving Jacob a little bit of a hard time about that, and, and I think it's right that we do, but hopefully you're seeing yourself in this portion of Jacob's account a little bit. Hopefully all of us understand that we have a tendency to maybe throw a prayer up, maybe not, but much more heavily rely on our own mental faculties, our own sense of strength or ability to bring a remedy to whatever situation we're dealing with. I, I actually experienced that uh, kind of doofus move as recently as today. So I'll tell on myself, since none of you were raising your hand to share any stories about how you've done this, I'll just go. Uh, we've, most of you know we've, we've purchased a, a church building. It's very old, and so it's got things, right? And so um, one of the things is there's some roof leaks, and we've gotten some of them, and that's been great, but some of them 
those of you who have ever maybe worked on roof leaks, there's certain kinds of roof leaks, and, and I call them phantom roof leaks, where the water is you know, manifesting inside the building in one spot, but when you go to the top and look at that spot, there is nothing there. There is not a hole, there's not a crack, there's not anything that would make you think it's possible that that's going on there. So I have been working on this one corner of this roof of the building almost since we've bought the place. And so I've been up there multiple different times with different products, trying different things, go to the next level above it, take it out a little wider, keep thinking, all right. And, and, and half the time finding something, you know, like a little bit away, oh, here's a little hole. Maybe that was it, I hope. And then the process is you go back the next time it rains. So it was raining today. I thought, okay, I had just been up there for another several hour session putting uh, a different kind of product in there that was like, this is guaranteed to work. This is going to be great. I have to get it. There's just no way. Going in pretty confident. Feeling pretty good about it. Go in. I step into the area and I hear a drip and I'm like, well, maybe I'm hearing that outside. Turn my flashlight on, look up there, and you better believe it's still soaking wet. And so what do I do? Do I stop and pray and ask for God's mercy in that moment? No. I go grab a ladder in the middle of the rain. I'm like, I'm going to go look at it again. Friends, I have looked at this spot, okay, for at probably 20 hours total. My eyes have been on this thing, all right? What am I going to see that I have not already seen? Nothing. But that's what I'm going to do. Well, it's raining, so maybe I'll go up there and see how the water's flowing or something. Maybe I'll see something I didn't see before. So here I am, ladder in the rain. Out we go. And I'm up there again. Nothing. I'm looking, I'm on my hands and knees, I'm thinking through it again, okay, what could it be? I'm looking out wider now than where I put the stuff, thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe I missed something just outside that range. And, and honestly, like, there was probably a point where I don't know if it was rainwater on my face or tears, because desperation set in. It's like, I've done all the things that I know how to do here, and the water's still coming in, and that is not going to work. So I'm like, I really hit this spot of like frustration slash desperation, and then this thought occurred to me. What if I prayed? <laughs> Whoa, revolutionary. If, if you don't want me to be your pastor anymore after this, I understand. I mean, it's fair. I'm just saying, we all do this. So if, you know, you can judge me harshly if you want to, but I bet you did it at some point today too. Anyways, um... So, man, I pray, I'm just like, God, I need your help. I, I, I've really tried on this roof leak, and um, I'm outside of the purview of my wisdom here. I, I don't know what else to do. And, uh, I, you know, guys, I've been thinking about this. I've woke up in the morning a few times thinking about this leak. This leak has been a thorn in my side. And, and so it's not that I haven't, you would have thought I would have thought of this before, but at the moment I get done praying, this, this thought kind of hit my mind that, there's this other wall on the other side, and if I, if I would just punch a little hole in there, I may get a good look at, at what I'm after here. And so go inside, get another ladder, grab a hammer, kind of gauge it up, guessing, because it's kind of hard to transfer from outside to inside, you know, know exactly where to go. So I'm just like, mm, knock a hole, and wouldn't you believe, I look in that hole, and there's my drip right there. So I know where it's at now. Couldn't fix it today, so that's still frustrating, but... I know where it's at now, and all I'm saying is, I wish I would have prayed five weeks ago, because maybe in God's mercy, he'd have told me to knock a hole in the wall a little earlier. I don't know. Okay, maybe he wanted to take me through that whole process to humble me. 
that's another possibility. He's definitely using it to do that now, whether that was what he wanted to do or not. Okay? Amen. <clears throat> and I do want to say this. J Jacob's prayer here is probably better than, than what I'm saying. There has been times throughout the process of working on this roof where I've been, you know, come on, Lord, help me. You know, but there wasn't a moment where I really stopped and like, okay, Jesus, I'm done. I, I need your help here. I can't, I can't get it. Um, it's just, it's just interesting that the moment that that happened is, is when I figured it out. So do without you want to, but <clears throat> it's just true. All right. So verses 24 through 32, we see God answer Jacob's prayer. Okay. What did Jacob pray? He asked for deliverance. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. He's going to come attack me and, and the mothers and the children. Okay, so God answers Jacob's prayer, but not in the way we would expect him to answer the prayer. And I am fairly certain not the way Jacob envisioned or wanted the prayer to be answered. Okay, here is God's answer to Jacob's prayer. Deliver me, O Lord. Then this happens. Then Jacob was left alone. This is one of the weirdest set of verses in the scripture. I just want you to know that. We're about to read it here. Hallelujah. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. <laughs> when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, it doesn't say where the guy came from. I mean, the Bible's awesome, isn't it? Jacob was left alone, and some dude wrestled with him all night. Straight to it. You don't need the other details. He came from the West, or he just appeared. You don't need to know. It was an all-night wrestling match. That's what you need to know. Okay. I love the Bible. All right. When he, saw, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. What just happened? <laughs> right? This is how God answers Jacob's prayer. Jacob prayed, he asked God to deliver him from Esau, and instead, God comes and wrestles him all night. Okay, what gives? What is happening? We can see that Jacob, though frantic and scared and surely exhausted by the incoming threat of his brother, before verse 22... He still thought he could handle the situation. He was still hatching plans and making moves. He's separating animals into droves, and he's making this elaborate thing so that you know, his, his brother gets hit with... That. Did you understand that's what he's doing? He's, he's breaking up this big elaborate gift of all these animals, and it's like one's going to hit him, and you're supposed to say, your servant Jacob sends these as a gift. And you know, Esau might be like, oh, well, okay, that's cool. I'm still mad and going to kill him, though. And then and then, but then another one comes, and he might think, oh, well, I'm still mad. Maybe I won't kill him. Then the third one comes, and then Jacob's hoping he's going to say, well, it's all right. You know, he's trying to wear him down. He's making his own deal, doing his own move. Okay? He's still hatching plans. He, he was desperate enough to say a prayer, but not desperate enough to know that God was actually his only hope. 
still trying to do it in his strength. And then God comes and fixes that for him. God comes and fixes Jacob's reality and lets him know who he needs to put his hope in. I hope that you're asking, I hope that you're thinking, what does this ancient WWE match have to do with cultivating a deeper hunger for the Lord? Why did we come here when this is what we're talking about? Here's why. Here's here's what we need to understand. At the base level of this conversation, we will never, we will never have the desperate hunger for the Lord that we should when we are full of the world and full of ourselves. It's not going to happen. This is step one in moving the way we want to move here. God wore Jacob out all night, right? And then dislocated his hip for good measure, bringing him low and humbling him. I mean, he is already... Think about a day of being anxious about something to the degree that Jacob was anxious. Think about a full day with that on your mind, trying to decide who goes into what group, hoping that maybe only one survives, right? Like, that's a lot. I'd say he was probably mentally taxed, probably pretty tired, at the point that God showed up and started wrestling him, and and this match went all night. Well, what was, so what was the outcome? What was the outcome of God showing up, wearing Jacob down, getting him to the point where he's just clinging to the Lord, saying he's not going to let him go without his blessing? Well, we see the outcome in the first three verses of chapter 33. Let me read this to you. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. What what is the outcome of Jacob's wrestling match with the Lord? No more tricks, no more manipulating, no more schemes. We notice here that instead of sending somebody else out in front like he was doing before, it said Jacob stepped out in front. He got out in front of everybody, exposed to the potential violent wrath of his brother. The only thing between him and Esau was God's sovereign hand of mercy. Completely vulnerable. And then we see God's deliverance in verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and and they wept. That's the outcome. That was not going to happen just because of Jacob's scheming. And Jacob wasn't going to be at the point where he really knew how much he needed the Lord until the Lord came and helped him, delivered him by breaking him, bringing him low. Here's why we came to these verses, as we're talking about cultivating a greater hunger for the Lord. The perennial foolishness of humanity is that we believe the lie that we don't need God, that we are just fine without him. And the first step to cultivating a true desire for more of God is being convinced of your desperate need for him. Jacob needed to be convinced that he wasn't going to handle this on his own. 
that the schemes and the tricks that actually was the thing that got him into this situation, his supposed cunning and all that, that's what got him in a blood feud with Esau to begin with. That wasn't going to be the way out. Deliverance wasn't going to come that way. He needed God. Friend, you need God. I don't know what your scheme is. I don't know what your version of Jacob's trying to do it on your own is. I don't know what your coping mechanism is. But friend, you need God. Those coping mechanisms will fail every single time. Well, I don't know. I feel like I've gotten along pretty good. Oh, <laughs> friend, there's an expiration date on that. And, and honestly, we, we are oftentimes not even able to perceive how much damage we take in going that route instead of trusting the Lord in these things. We might think we skinned through and, and made it out, but there's always a cost when we do things our own way, when we do things in our own strength, when we trust in ourselves and the might of our own hands as opposed to the goodness and the might of God. We have to be convinced of our desperate need for him. And here's what that means. You might not like this, but it's true. What that means is God and his great love for you. When you cry out to him in prayer, asking for his deliverance because you feel like you have reached the end of your rope, he might come and wrestle you and wear you down the rest of the way so that you are actually in the place where you can receive his help and blessing. It doesn't always come in the form of a man wrestling with you on a riverbank. But God's still doing the same thing. He will do the same thing in his great love for his children. And so some of you have cried out for God's deliverance in the past and then felt like the heat got turned up, the intensity of the difficulty, it, it got even more. A, a new dam broke in your life, so to speak. And you've been tempted to think, well, is, is this God not listening? Is this God not hearing? Is this God not caring? Well, friend... We can, we can never even entertain those thoughts. The cross of Christ has put those thoughts to death forever. God does care. He does see. He does love. And he is good. Those questions are not on the table. But what is on the table is where am I in my understanding of my desperate need for him? And in his great love for me, is he going to bring me low or maybe lower to bring me to that exact spot I need to be where he can actually help me and bless me? Do you know that you need him? Whether you know it or not, you do. Jacob got wore down far enough in this wrestling match that, that all he could do, all he could do was cling to the Lord. Because here's the thing, Jacob wasn't going to beat him. He realized that. Jacob wasn't going to get this guy he's wrestling against, which we find out is God himself, he wasn't going to get him to do anything he didn't already intend to do, right? We need to be careful with this. It's not that Jacob wrestled God into doing something for him that he wasn't already going to do. That's not what happened. And you're not going to do that, okay? Uh, if, if you're anywhere near that delusion, let me just help you with something. If God gets in a wrestling match, he wins every time, okay? Okay? Say amen, because that's good. That's good for you, and that's good for everybody. I'm glad he wins. Devastatingly wins. There's not even a competition. 
Amen. He wasn't going to get God to do anything he didn't already intend on doing. Here's God wanted Jacob to finally realize through this process he only had one shot, and that was to cling to him. And he got him there, didn't he? Let me go. I'm not letting go (laughs) until you bless me. I need you. I realize now what I've needed all along. Most of us will struggle initially with the idea of God wrestling with us or using situations and circumstances to prepare us and bring us to a place of really being able to understand our great need for him. We'll struggle to see that as love, but we need help, friends. We need help with that. We need our eyes to be adjusted so that we can see that God is about our great good, not just our temporary comfort or doing what it is uh, we think from our perspective would be best. There's a great humility that needs to wash over us and, and, and bring us to the place of being able to say with great confidence and conviction, God, whatever you do is best. And if I think I'm at the end of my rope, but you know that I'm not, God, come wrestle me. Come put me down. Come dislocate this hip. Do both, if that's what it takes, to soften my heart and prepare me for what it is you have for me. This is the prayer of a humble and wise person who really understands their desperate need for God. You want to talk about getting hungry for God? Get desperate. It's where it comes from. It's where it starts. Not going to be hungry if you're full. Oftentimes we're full with a bunch of old junk. Things that don't do any, anything but harm us and hurt us. So the question is, how do we take this out of kind of this narrative of Jacob's situation? What does this look like for us, right? Is, is the way to have, what is the point? Why are, what am I really saying here? Is, is the way to have our hunger for more of God, which is what we're talking about in this sermon series, is the way for that to be stirred, is that for us to fly to the Middle East and find this little tributary of the Jordan River called the Jabbok and just, you know, stand on those banks and wait there until God shows up and puts us in a supernatural suplex, right? Is that the process we all need to go through? Could we do it at the Ohio River? Do we need to go to the Middle East? Like, what's the deal here? No, all right? You don't have to be in a riverbank wrestling match in order to get this. But we do need to think, we need to ask ourselves, what is our equivalent, okay? God blessed Jacob because Jacob got to the point where he clung to him and nothing else and said, no, I will not let go. God wasn't upset about that. God honored that and blessed him for it, didn't he? Okay, again, make sure you remember, Jacob's clinging wasn't making God do anything he wasn't already going to do. <laughs> Jacob lost the wrestling match. But in him coming to the realization that what he needed to cling to was not his own attempts at solving the problems, but onto God and needed his blessing, God honored that. So what is our equivalent of clinging to God and saying, no, I'm not going to let go? How do, we, how do we do that? Well, thankfully... Jesus accomplished many things in coming, but one of the things he did is he showed us through his life and the way he conducted himself that we can cling to God and we can have our desire for more of him cultivated without a riverbank wrestling match, okay? Jesus never had to do exactly what Jacob did, and and the beauty of God is that 
Uh, he's so good. He's such a merciful father. He, he knows each of us so well um, that he will do a completely different thing with me to bring me to this place where I'll cling to him like I need to than he'll do with you. He's not going to just try to fit, do a one-size-fits-all. He loves you just like those of you with children love each of your children. Understand they have to be disciplined differently and trained differently and, and rewarded differently. God's a good, good father. And so he'll meet you right where you're at. But what are the ways that Jesus showed us? How do we, how do we have this equivalent of clinging to God as Jacob did? Well, one of the things that is prominent in the life of Christ is that, and we know it from the way he spoke, from the way he taught, and from different accounts, is that Jesus was consistently a student of the Word. Now, this gets confusing because John 1 says that Jesus is the Word, and the Word became flesh, and that can be difficult, but we also have this sense that somehow Jesus restricted his divinity in such a way that he had the experience of growing and developing. The, the, the scriptures say that, that he grew in wisdom and stature. And there's this account of him, uh, his parents leave him behind, they come back and find him. He's teaching scrolls in the temple, right? And all the, all the teachers of the day are like mind blown because of the, the wisdom with which he's conducting himself. And, and much of his preaching of the kingdom, it was, it was based around uh, the Old Testament scriptures and pointing people to the fact that everything that they were looking there and they, everything they were seeing there, it was being fulfilled in him. Jesus stayed close and modeled this idea of being in the word of God. And there is this sense in which you can wrestle with the word of God. I'm not sure if you've done this. I'm not sure maybe in, in your digging and reading and in praying through what you're studying, if you've ever wrestled with something, you've encountered maybe scriptures that you didn't understand or scriptures that you understood but you didn't like. Anybody here ever find something you didn't like in the scriptures? Maybe once, twice? No, you're all perfect angels and agree with everything that the scriptures have ever said and you never have a conflict with that in your own personal opinion? Okay, good. That's who I'm dealing with. All right, well, let's just pray and be done then, all right? <laughs> no, of course you have, man, because we're all tempted to, uh, you know, we world and culture and our own opinions, the way we were raised. There's many times that our opinion conflicts, our experience maybe conflicts with what the Word of God says. So that right there, you've got an opportunity to wrestle, and you're going to have to wrestle through that. And here, let me just help you with something. God's going to win, okay? So the word, the word is right, and you are often wrong. Has anybody told you that lately, that a lot of times you're wrong? Let me, just, let me just do that for you as a precious gift moving out of 2019 into 2020. Maybe you didn't get anything you liked for Christmas. Let me give you a gift that you can unwrap with joy right now. You are often wrong. I love you. Hope that helps. Sorry I didn't put a bow on it. Now, that's good for us to know, isn't it? But, but when, when our sinful tendencies, inclinations, and, and sinful opinions come into contact with the truth of the Word of God, there is often something to wrestle through there. Sometimes it isn't that. Sometimes it's just, God, this is really hard for me to understand. Or sometimes it's not that we would be so bold as to say, well, I don't, I don't want to do that or I don't believe that, but it's just really difficult for us to understand, God, how is this right? Like, I, I, I want my... I, my initial response is to trust you. Like, I want to just believe everything in your word, but when I, there's this thing right here. I just don't know, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to reconcile this. There is, there is this consistent, if, if you get in there and dig and, and go after it, opportunity to wrestle with God's word. And we can, we can cling to him. And when we're, when we're in those spots, 
what I find to be helpful, what I think is good advice is stay on God's side, okay? Just, you heard me do it earlier. If, if you find something in the Word of God and it's like, ooh, man, that doesn't like align with what I understand about God's character, or man, this, I don't understand how this could be true, or this kind of maybe makes me wonder about if, if God can be trusted based on what this is saying, run back and set your eyes upon the cross of Christ. Remember that this is the pinnacle of God's expression of love and care and mercy and grace. And remember that all of the Old Testament was leading up to Christ coming and dying in our place and rising from the grave, that all the rest of the scriptures are telling us it happened or telling us how to live in light of the fact that it happened. And so that is the great jewel. That is kind of the apex of what the Bible's about. So you're digging in the Old Testament, you find one of these crazy things in Judges or whatever, wherever you are, and you're like, ooh, man, what do I do with that? Typically, there are theologians whose shoulders we stand upon that if we go do some research and spend some time on it, we can find out there are typically good answers. There's a few things in the scriptures where the right answer is, I don't know. But I end up at, I don't know about that, but I do know that God is good. I know God is good because of Christ. If, I mean, that's, you might be like, well, that's reductionistic. I don't, I don't think it is. It's, Jesus Christ is the, the unveiled expression of who God is. The scripture says that in multiple different ways. He's the expressed image of God. And so what Jesus did and taught and, and how he laid himself down for us and rose from the grave just like he said he would, these, <laughs> these are the things that help us when we're having those tough wrestling matches in the word, okay? Stay close to the gospel and reach out for help when you don't understand. You know, don't just walk away from it. Wrestle with it because sometimes in doing that, Something that you thought was going to detract from your understanding of God's good character, rightly understood with the help of the Holy Spirit and perhaps the counsel of other Christians, will, will find, you'll find yourself even more enamored with how great and good and loving he is. Amen? Okay. Jesus was a student of the word. Jesus wrestled through prayer. There's a lot of... Uh, Accounts of Jesus just withdrawing from the crowds and even sometimes from his disciples, just getting alone to pray. It was often times of high pressure, and this is a way that Jesus wrestled through. And we even see the closest thing to Jesus having something like Jacob did in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? When Jesus three separate times asks God for this cup of wrath that he's about to have to drink on our behalf to pass from him. And so, you know, there's, there's a kind of a conflict here. Um, Jesus really is, is struggling with the idea of going through with what it is the Father's asked him to do. The beauty of how Jesus prays, though, and how Jesus wrestles and the example that he gives us is every time uh, he, he summarizes with, you know, here's where I am, I'm struggling, is there another way to do this, Father? However, not my will, but your will be done. And that's a good, it's a good way for us to understand about how, how we should wrestle in prayer. There may be difficult things you're going through. There may be things that, you know, God is not afraid of you coming and locking up with him and tumbling a little bit. I just want you to know that. He ain't scared. <laughs> you understand? Because he's God and all. Right? So, amen. Uh, you don't, you don't got to be worried. I mean, I, you know, I get worried sometimes because there's a lot of people that, <clears throat> I, look, prayer is awesome. And God has invited us to come and speak to him and come boldly before his throne, that's what Hebrews says. That's very, that's very great. 
Um, I do think some, you know, yes, God is Father, and that is the primary way we're to relate to him in the scriptures, but he's also king and judge, and I just wish everyone would remember that as they think about how they pray. You, you know what I'm saying? Just, there's some reverence there. I mean, even my kids, I mean, we goof around and whatever, but, you know, if they, if they want to have a serious conversation with me, they, they, they can't just walk up and say whatever or crazy thing they want to say. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just their dad. I'm just a human. So I don't know. I got off track there. I just get nervous sometimes the way people pray. <laughs> and I know there's people in here that are going to say, oh, no, you're going to ruin prayer for people because they struggle to pray anyways. And I get it. There's a whole spectrum of people. There's people that are like, you know, they, they don't pray without like being on their knees and, you know, saying the Lord's Prayer first, and it's like very regimented, and they need to loosen up a little bit. But then there's people on the other end of the spectrum, you know, it's just like, this is still God we're talking to here, you know? So that's whatever. Do with that whatever you want. I'm saying probably in the middle's safe, and the whole point of all that is Jesus wrestled with prayer and through prayer, and that's one way um, that we can engage in this process. Um, what's the next one? Worship. And I'm talking about worship specifically through singing. Worship, uh, a lot of people don't maybe catch this, but Jesus actually sang with his disciples um, probably more than this, but most notably at the Last Supper. And so worship through singing was a part of the way that Jesus conducted himself and related to God. And so I don't know about you. I can just, this is an experiential thing that I'm going to share with you, but for me, some of the most profound times of, of wrestling with my own stuff and with things going on and, and even wrestling with um, this process of coming closer to the Lord, some of the most profound times I've had of that have been during and in the context of worshiping through singing. Um, there's something to spending that time uh, and, and there's something that God has done with music and how we respond to it. And, you know, science is catching up. I mean, we, you know, now we hook people up and watch their brains uh, react to music. And we understand that there's something hardwired in us. And I, you know, I believe God did that. I believe God designed and made music for, uh, to put rhythm to his worship. And, I, and I'm just saying to you, there's something about, um, for me, for sure, I can say, prolonged times of just singing to the Lord, of declaring how good he is. It's almost like, it's, it's almost like in doing that, you, you kind of, you, you wrestle away those puffed up thoughts about yourself and, and those contrary thoughts to what he's already told us. And there's, there's a humbling effect. And it's, uh, as, as we open the service today, they read Psalm 100, right? That we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There's this idea that, you know, there's a proximity. We are justified in Christ, and so positionally we are his sons and daughters if we have come to him by faith. But there is, there is this kind of, there's a difference between just walking through daily life and, and, and kind of just doing your own thing or, or really walking in, in the presence of God and, and having those times where you can just tangibly understand. And, and, and f I'm dancing around the word feel because it makes me nervous, but I'm just going to say it. You can feel his presence, man. Has anybody in here other than me ever felt God's presence in a time of worship? Like, that's a real thing, and I'm not making that up. Okay, good, then I'm not alone. I'm like, I'm like getting all sweaty and nervous about it. You guys already know what I'm talking about. So, but, but I'm talking about 
man, it goes really deep. That's what I'm trying to say to you. There's give past his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. And the Bible talks about him having this inner throne room, man. And there's a lot of times where we'll, we'll come up to the threshold of that thing. And, you know, Malachi says that God's a refining fire. And so the, the closer you move to God in this kind of moving forward in proximity thing, man, things are going to start to come up, burn off. There's going to be repentance that's going to be happening. It's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, like gut-wrenching at times process. But I'm just saying, man, get in there and do it. And so we need more of this in our life, and that's not the only way. Um, worshiping through, through song, that, that it happens. It can happen in prayer. It can happen in Bible study. It can happen in the combination of all those. It can happen in the gathering of God's people. Uh, just us being together, there's something to that. God has blessed that. And what I'm saying to you is, um, man, there, there can be a lot of wrestling between the, the gates and, and the threshold of, of the throne room, but... If you don't know what I'm talking about, man, I'm just, I'm just telling you, there's, it's okay to talk about experiences with God. Like it, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with it. It's fine. I know that they can get goofy, and I know that there's people that make stuff up, and there's fake things and all that, but that, it's not all that. There are real times, man, where, I mean, do you understand that Jacob said, I was face-to-face with God and made it out. Like, there are times when God, and here's what we need, I need to say, this is real important. Like, ooh, he's kind of like jumpy tonight. I know, but this is, we're talking about some deep stuff, and I don't, I don't want to leave you, I don't want to miss this right here. It's very, very, very important. <laughs> when we come up to that threshold of, of God's throne room, we need, we need to understand that Some, sometimes we will pray. Sometimes we will sing even. Sometimes we, we will ask for God to like come. We'll, we'll sing things or we'll say things like, God, you know, come fill this place. Or, you know, um, Lord, it's, it's like we're trying to get him to bring his presence to us. And I think it's really, really important that we remember we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I understand that sometimes those songs are taking parts of the Psalms and like, I get, I get that, right? But here's the thing. David was not indwelt by the Holy Spirit when he wrote those Psalms. We are. The presence of God is with you. There is a song that we sing here that it's asking God to help us be able to perceive his presence more effectively because that's really the issue here. When, it talk, when we're talking about being in proximity to God, do you understand that if you belong to Christ, the very living spirit of God dwells in you? You don't need God's spirit to come to you. You don't need his presence to come to you. You need your eyes opened up to the reality of his presence. You need some of that, all that gunk that's on you from the world and, and letting your thinking be tracked way outside of, of what is godly or good. You, you need that to be stripped away. You, you, sometimes you need, need to wrestle yourself. Let God wrestle you down, whatever it takes. Hose you off, man. But listen, God is with us. We need, to, we need to revel in confident jubilation that God is with us, that he's faithful to his promise, that his presence is with us. But a lot of times what we need is, is that those scales like Paul had to fall off of our eyes, man. We need our hearts softened again to be able to actually enjoy the reality of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and that the manifest glory of God we have access to as his children. That's the real issue. And a lot of why we aren't there sometimes is because we're not hungry for it. A lot of reason why we're not hungry for it a lot of times is because we don't realize how desperately we need it. And a lot of times why we're not hungry for it is because we are filled up on a bunch of 
useless counterfeits and idols that promise the same things that God does but never deliver. <clears throat> Last thing I'm going to give you is fasting, but some of you are quick and some of you, so either, you're, either you're quick or you're cynical and you'd be thinking this right now. You might be thinking, well, man, they're doing this worship series. It's called Desperate, Cultivating a Deeper Hunger for God. I was expecting some kind of like groundbreaking new you know, uh, approach, right, to cultivating you know, some real deep spiritual insight that I have never heard before. And some of you have already caught on to the fact that actually what I'm doing is pointing you to the basic spiritual disciplines that we talk about all the time. What did I say? Jesus was in his Bible, knew his Bible, spoke his Bible, that Jesus sang with God's people, gathered with God's people, and made worship a part of his lifestyle, that Jesus prayed and wrestled through stuff by taking God up on this beautiful privilege to approach him through prayer. Prayer, Bible study, Christian community, and the last thing I'm going to give you is fasting. Hallelujah! Groundbreaking new stuff you've never heard before, right? But here's the problem, friends. That is our problem. We keep running around and we're searching for some new thing. Maybe there's something under here. Maybe somebody's got a new word for me. No, man. There's a old, here's an old word for you. Do the basic things that God has asked you to do. Get hungry again and go back and eat on the good stuff and quit eating the nasty stuff and watch what happens. <clears throat> Amen. Jesus fasted for 40 days after his baptism in preparation for his ministry. So we see that this was, this was a, a pinnacle point in Jesus' life. It was a pinnacle part of his preparation and something that he modeled for us as a, a way to wrestle with our own flesh, a way to have this kind of situation where we're wrestling with God, where we're clinging to God, where we're declaring in, in taking the step, the difficult step of, of fasting that we know we have need of him, and we know that we have things oftentimes in between us and him that, that need to be put down. And so fasting is a part of that. And, and, and fasting subdues the rule that our carnal hungers tend to have over us. And it wakens those spiritual hungers that we, we wish would rule us, right? Because all of us can relate to Paul in Romans 7. When he's like, yeah, what a wretched man that I am. I don't do the things I want to do, but I, I do the things I don't want to do. It's this tension. It's this reality that, yes, we are justified. We've been made sons and daughters by faith, but we are not perfect yet. And so we're in this middle spot, being sanctified and, and, and being drawn along in this process, being molded and shaped to be more like Jesus. And, and the reality is, it's a wrestling match, man. Paul called it a race, and and. There's other analogies throughout the Bible, but man, this thing, it, sometimes it does. It, it feels intense, and it is intense, and it feels combative, uh, but praise God. What he's trying to get us to is not to even necessarily be better wrestlers ourselves. He's just trying to get us to cling to him and say, no, I'm not letting go. It's you that I need. it. I don't have anything groundbreaking for you. We're going to talk about fasting more next week, so I'm warning some of you that if you got vacation days and you want to try to get out of it, it's coming. We're going to call a fast uh, in the new year, so um, get ready. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk more about how that specifically can 
help to cultivate our, our hunger for the Lord. So, The big point that we're making here about cultivating greater hunger for the Lord is it's really just a return to this central message of all the scriptures. And that central message is that we're never going to desire God until we know how desperately we need him. Like that, that is really what the Bible is, is doing. We see this with Jacob here wrestling God. What he was getting him to was this point of clinging to him and knowing God is his only hope. This really, what, that's what the wandering in the desert was about and the manna and the whole thing. Like God was showing them like you need, I need you to understand that you need me. That's what the whole law was about. That's what Hebrews says. Like you get this whole drama of the law and the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the whole thing. God went to all that extent to show his people one thing. You need me, and you can't do this without me. The whole point was all of that is to prepare us for the reality of the gospel, that we can't do this on our own. We can't be perfect. We can't fix the sin problem. We can't be righteous on our own. We need Jesus. That's really understanding that, staying rooted in that beautiful truth is part of what's going to keep you hungry in the way that you should be. Because the minute you start to slip away from that, the minute you start to divide your herds and come up with your own plan, right? That, that hunger subsides. You, you don't have that desperate drive to stay clinging to that God whom, whose blessing you know you need. The gospel keeps us hungry in the right way. And just to be clear, when I say gospel... I mean this beautiful truth that each one of us are sinners. None of us is perfect. That the reason Jesus came and was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and then died in our place was because we needed a savior. He is the substitute. He is the atonement. He's the fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices. That Jesus didn't just die on a cross in our place for our sins, but that he also rose from the grave three days later. This is the good news of the gospel. And this gospel is what should and can Keep us in a place of right hunger for the Lord. Every day we should wake and fill our hearts and minds with the gospel. And as we contemplate how much we need Jesus, it should keep us in this place of knowing. That's not going to change. That need for him is not going to change. I needed him yesterday. I need him right now. I'm going to need him tomorrow. I can't do anything without him. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that, friend? Do you believe that? Have you had enough experience of, of trying to be your own vine? Have you been frustrated because you've prayed asking for deliverance and felt like God came and wrestled you some more? Don't be, friend. Trust him. Just cling to him. Just cling to him. That's what he's trying to get you to do. Give up. Give up the fight, but don't give up holding on to him. Realize you're outmatched. But thankfully, you're outmatched by one who all he's trying to do is love you and help you and take care of you, teach you what you were made for. Amen. May we know our great need for God, and may our hunger and thirst for him ever increase for his glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for Genesis 32. Thank you for the story of Jacob. Thank you that you came and wrestled him on the riverbanks of the Jabbok. Thank you, God, that you'll do the same with us, that you'll not let us in our arrogance uh, live in the 
stupor of believing we're okay without you. God, we are here and we are asking for your help, whatever it takes. Lord, dislocate my hip. Do what it takes to keep me understanding how desperately I'm in need of you. God, I, oftentimes my appetites and my hungers are, are for foolish temporal things. But God, I, I want to be hungry for more of you, for your presence, for your wisdom, for your word, for prayer, for times of refreshing and, and worship and singing to you, God. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us as your people to stop settling for less. That's our problem, Lord. We're willing to settle for counterfeits. We're willing to settle for these, these idols that lie and they trick us. But, Lord, we don't want to anymore. Make us wise. Give us eyes to see the places where we are already wrapped up in this stuff. God, wrestle us. Wrestle those things away from us and throw them away and help us. Teach us to cling to you once again. Lord, we know as we sit here under the anointing of your Holy Spirit, we understand how desperately we need you, but we're going to step out from this room and we're going to be tempted again to take the reins. Many of us right now in this moment, our hearts are soft and pliable as we've sat under the teaching of your word and we, we want to respond to this and we want to cling to you. But God, we're going to be tempted as we walk out to start separating our herds again and, and doing our own thing and have a backup plan in case you don't do what you said you would do. But God, please, if what it takes is to wrestle us again, then, then do it. We lay ourselves at your feet. We entrust ourselves into your hands. We ask you to have your way because you are good. You've shown us that. You've proven that you're loving and perfect and holy. And we give ourselves to you. Lord, help us. Make us hungrier than we are right now for your glory, O oh God, and for our good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.